I was like a little worried about recording tonight because I thought I was pretty tired, but I just put on some Simon and Garfunkel and I drifted right into a good relaxing nap. Now, I'm now you pretty good. Now you have a a, a pulse rate of like 120 or something like that. <laughs> you do you listen to it at the gym? I just followed uh, Paul Simon's racist tour through Africa, and, <laughs> and uh, I feel like I'm ready for some some takes now. All right, let's get started then. Welcome to a free podcast. I am uh, your co-host Rob and joined as always my good friends Joe and Duff. We are on our last episode of our first season. It's graduation day. Uh, that's right. We are discussing cinematic fail sons this season, and we are ending it. As Joe says, graduation day, we are talking about none other than 1967's The Graduate. <laughs> Why are you phrasing that like this... a question? I was like, well, as I was saying, I was like, you're, or is it 68? Because 68's the Oscar year, right? You're, you're right there, Ron Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it came out, I think, in December of 67. Okay. All right. So, all right. Okay. So it's it, it's listed everywhere as a 1967 movie, but most people probably saw it in 68. All right. So, Benjamin Braddock, we have our uh, our, our uh, God. I almost said I almost said Gene Hackman, Benjamin Braddock, which is <laughs> not correct in any way. I would rather well, see and- Gene Hackman. <laughs> I, I want him to it isn't enough that Dustin Hoffman looks like 33 years old in this movie let's just get Gene Hackman as a 45 well, did, year old or whatever did anyone uh maybe you're thinking of Gene Hackman because Gene Hackman was originally cast as uh that's right as, as, as Mr. Ben Robinson yes even and then he was fired like a weekend because they realized he was too young <laughs> so who could have seen that coming <laughs> The, the age, yeah, this, this movie does have a bit of an age, there's some age bizarreness happens in here, but uh, of course I'm talking about Dustin Hoffman, Benjamin Braddock. I don't know, where, should, where do you guys want to get started here? Do you want to, do you want to I, like, I, I know how I want to get it started. In general, or should we just jump into Benjamin Braddock as a fail son? He sucks and this movie sucks, and anyone who likes it sucks as a, and is a bad person. Oh. Wow, I'm, I'm, I, not, I'm I did, only halfway there with you, Joe. I did Living on a Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> uh i actually didn't know where joe was gonna come down on this one i was not a big fan of this i, I think i saw this once i might have been in high school I, it was a long time ago and so going into this i thought oh maybe it's something that'll click now and this movie felt four hours long and it is only an hour and 46 minutes oh you didn't enjoy uh the 20 minute scene of him driving to a place and then running to a place that didn't excite you at the end there. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, so let's, let's, let's start with Benjamin. Let's, let's save graduate takes. Okay. Let, let me list off the ways that he's persecuted. Okay. I mean, I, I'm with you on this. I'm like, this is, I think we, that's why, that's why I want to start with Benjamin Braddock. Let's just quickly summarize Benjamin Braddock. He is a uh, college kid, just earned his degree. He comes home. Let's say, uh, is this unfair? He maybe comes from some money? <laughs> a little bit of... Yeah, upper middle bit. class. He, he comes from quite a bit of money. Quite a bit of money. And he uh, has an affair with, uh, of course, famously, Mrs. Robinson. 
And then also wants to get with her daughter. As you do. (laughs) You're you're skipping over a lot of stuff here, though. Okay, well, I guess that's basically Is he, though? Yeah, I'm just, like, keeping it very basic. That's essentially the plight of Benjamin Braddock. Uh, Let's talk about why he's a bad person. And he makes a lot of reasons. He makes a, he makes a cuckold of the mayor from Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> now that's the only good thing about this movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, I well, yeah. Do you think that this movie is a prequel of Jaws, and that this incident inspires that guy to move out east and just get away and live on an island where he's isolated? Just be a shady mayor. He's like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> Maybe that would. Is he who hires who hires Richard Dreyfus in that movie? Uh, Brody does, I think. Okay, is the mayor a fan of that? Because, uh, you know, I would assume no. that would... Okay, then this this all checks out, Joe. Yeah. So, uh, Richard Dreyfus, by the way, is in this movie. Fun fact. Yeah, I I didn't spot it, but then I was reading some article later, and they said that he has one line or something. Yeah, he's uh, he's part of the, uh, the group of guys that show up in the apartment that he's staying at, like in that house. When, oh, uh, when uh, she screams. When she screams and he's the one that's like, we should call the cops. That's Richard Dreyfus. Oh, well, good for Richard Dreyfus. Yes. I don't know why he never went by Dick Dreyfus. Hmm. But he didn't want to stir up a fuss. <laughs> Dickie D. Okay, Joe. Uh, Benjamin Braddock. Okay, so it sounds like we can all agree, no matter what, that he is, he is a fail son. And I believe... In our uh, freeloaders, our Facebook group, someone, before we recorded this, but after we had decided we were going to talk about this movie, posted about this movie as, as Benjamin Braddock as a fail son. And, yes. Quintessential. Abs- uh, 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 yeah, essential. Just a, a humorless uh, sad sack just taking up oxygen. Yeah, he, he has no talent at anything. He seems pretty kind of good at driving, though. He drives pretty fast. I mean, he must have... <laughs> He probably got good at sex after all that. Maybe. I don't think he did. Oh, maybe. He's uh, really good at uh, post uh, postcoital conversation. <laughs> yeah. Expert. Expert good, at that. Good at the pillow talk. Pretty good at stalking. Yep. Yeah. So that's a useful thing. So let, let uh, me just go through it because we're 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 extremely unfocused right now. Let's just li- list off like we always do about what why how he fails. So okay. to start with. So he, his parents have are rude enough to throw him a graduation party, which and he feels very wronged by that. That yep. uh, they throw a party for him soon after they gave him a sports car for his graduation present, and he totally ignores the family and family friends that have, I'm assuming, helped him throughout his life. Yep, and uh, he just wants to be left alone in his room. And if uh. this was made tw- even 20 years later, he would be gaming. <laughs> yeah, it's just too early for that. His whole that I have a lot of issues with, with with Ben Braddock, but like the number one is his constant like I just I just I have a lot of things on my mind. Like shut up! No, you don't. And it doesn't matter. We all do. I think there's a lot to talk about with like coming of age movies and and this whole genre. But like, continue on, Joe. For well, a guy, for can I say for a guy who constantly says. He has a lot on his mind, and he's waiting for something different. He doesn't have any interesting things he's waiting for or thinking about. Yeah, like, what does he do, Like, what does he want? At, he I, he kind of starts to want to talk about art, <laughs> but then he does. Of. But then he doesn't actually talk about art. He's just he's the most uninteresting character. I mean, at least you know. I was I was thinking of, and this is not by accident or coincidence. I was thinking 
of uh, Max Fisher. And mm. Max yeah. Fisher is not quite privileged, but no, si- si- similar mentality. And at least Max Fisher has interests. <laughs> yeah, he's got hobbies and, and things he's doing. And ben, he's like Benjamin Bra- uh, Ben Braddock's hobbies are just laying in the pool and drinking Coors. And banging his, uh, his dad's partner's w- uh, wife. Yeah. So he, they have the the temerity to throw him a party, mm-hmm. and and he uh, is feels very wrong by the fact that he has to listen to some old guys give him advice, which is something pretty much every human has to do when they and offers a, him offers him a job essentially, is what like I took that plastics conversation as that like he was sort of like telling him about like I assume that meant that he's in plastics and just sort of like mm-hmm. letting him know like hey this is a thing we should do I can help Maybe. you out also. The whole plastics things, that was pretty spot on. Should have listened to that dude. He was. <laughs> and I guarantee that if there was a, like... Cars are made of plastic now, Ben. Maybe if, if you'd have gotten it on the ground floor. If this movie <laughs> continued, I guarantee he grows up to be working in some kind of like the petroleum industry or something, the financial services industry, something evil and useless that Tr- destroys our securities. Planet. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, then he um, gets is well seduced by mrs robinson this is also which i think takes away agency from him so i I think the way that people always talk about her seducing him kind of takes the agency away from him and makes him feel like seem like a victim and he is decidedly not a victim he just won't stand up for himself also though like i i know what you're saying but rewatching this in my head it was that way too that like she sort of like you know seduces him and she does early on but ultimately she does say like if you're interested give me a call like it's on him to make that call and he does that yeah so the, many that many it, times everyone completely misremembers this movie and and really even that one scene where he's at her house he all he has to do is leave and he doesn't because he has no personality no backbone no drive no personality he has nothing. He's a completely worthless, empty shell of a man, and his and it it's sort of played for laughs. And I guess it is kind of funny, like how neurotic he is. But in order for neuroticism to be like amusing, you have to like the person. But there's nothing to like about him. So there are funny moments. I'll admit, this, like I this, think movie this movie is kind of funny fun. at times. Sometimes, but but like the part where he like touch touches her breast and then he goes and slams his head against the door that like or the blinds or whatever like that's pretty funny but yeah that's whatever funny. i mean he has dustin hoffman has some great reaction shots too yeah yeah although he is i will say i you know it does remind me of another famous dustin hoffman role is it uh, rain man yeah <laughs> there's like a lot of him where i'm like man this 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 is this is this a prequel to rain man that's the real <laughs> question I agree. Sometimes he's very funny, uh, and this movie is very funny at times. I, I, shockingly, can relate uh, to feeling to feeling awkward and being awful in new social situations. As uh, well, yeah. I <laughs> as we watch uh, Ben here like struggle through like the whole hotel stuff, which I found like very funny. Just how like emasculated he is to like get a room. Like he just can't do it by himself, and he needs to get like urged multiple times until he finally does it. And he uh, uses a fake name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he takes the piece of paper and wrinkles it up. <laughs> so I think there's a through line from this era up through like the early 90s with boomers and generation x is all of their movie and there's so there's a lot of them you know the 
okay, I just graduated from college and now what? And with those two generations, it's like, I just graduated from college and now what? So I'm just supposed to get a job and like get married. Like, and and there's something they find sort of insulting about that and unfulfilling. And I mean, yeah, it sucks to work, I guess. But the funny thing is like, and then, then starting with our generation, it transitions from like, I can't believe they expect me to get a job out of college to I can't get a job out of college. So like you watch this now and like the arrogance of him is it's, I it's you can't watch it. It's, I can't stomach it. Yeah. This similarly, I have a similar, uh, kind of I not theory but just I notice that a lot of the you said the 1990s and I really think that it goes through the 90s that looking back in the 90s there's so much humor of let's say like Dilbert and office space and even like into the the British office where it's like oh work is so soul-sucking and oh and now you look back and it's like what are they complaining about they had a full-time job with health benefits <laughs> or you look at the movies like reality bites or yeah. and screaming and, and movies like that where there's this entire argument that like getting a job is like sacrificing your individual it's like selling out especially yeah. with the generation x ones that those were the last generations where you could like afford literally afford where you could just stump, stumble into a job because you had a bachelor's degree and you were guaranteed some semblance of dignity yeah yeah i mean that I, i'm really torn on that like subgenre of films um because uh, like adventureland is another one kind of like that too uh, even though it's more recent, it takes place in the late 80s. So you have like another, you know, around that era. And my issue on that is like we all, we all like all three of us went to college and we got out of college. And then we, we are have... all graduates and are thus qualified to weigh in. Yes. And, and, and it is hard, right? Like, and, and, you know, in some ways it was hard for us, especially quote unquote, because like, oh, it was during like the crisis was starting to happen financial crisis a few years later like you have these like difficulties um and the thing is it's like that's the case all the time like i guess ultimately what i think of it with this movie is it's not like coming out of college is any harder than any other part of your life it's just when you most when you were as a as an adult think you're at your highest importance and you're not yeah. At all. At all. I, and I think of uh, Duff, you'll appreciate this, but uh, in The Leftovers, which is a show that Duff got me hooked on, uh, there's a part where the main character is sort of bummed out about things and, you know, he's got a really good life. And his dad sort of tells him that, like, hey, I know you, uh, you know, don't feel fulfilled. You have all the stuff and you think you should have more and you shouldn't. You're not yeah. special. <laughs> like, this is, there's not a special purpose for you. What you're having right here is what it is. And I'm like, that's really like no one wants to hear that advice, but that's really the advice we need to tell people. Like, you're, there's nothing that impressive about you. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he seems to really have embodied that that there is something special about him, and that's why I don't think that this movie really works. And I used like when I first watched this, I was probably in college, so I guess I was at, I was right in the. T- I mean, this is this movie is obviously made for young people, and I'm not young anymore. And I liked it, and I thought it was really funny. And and I just didn't I just didn't think about how misogynist it was oh. and, and uh, offensive it was at the time because I was an idiot <laughs> and and like I I know Rod maybe we'll talk about it later but Roger Ebert kind of had the same uh, coming around on this movie when he th- watched it as an older person oh I didn't realize that that, that 
like he he gave it a really good review initially and then in the late 90s he he writes a whole essay about how mrs robinson's the most sympathetic character in yeah that movie. oh that's yes. really like looking at it now i'm like man she's the only interesting character in this thing she's the only person with a backstory and who elicits pathos yeah there's the the, the sadness in her eyes that you you like want to know her story and we would actually be capable of having a conversation with her about it unlike the idiot man child that tries to talk to her in bed like the idiot man children I mean, not. I mean, yeah, it's not even I just. Mean, her but, husband is uh, is a loser too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, yeah, Can, I, I I do want to say something that also kind of makes me a, more mad at Benjamin is that his parents don't seem all that bad, which no. we we hit on, but like they seem to get along well. They're throwing parties. They bought him some cool scuba gear. <laughs> Well, I, I never really got so that's in this the movie. one issue that's the one scene where like you're like oh man when like that's like that's the one scene in the movie that i can only criticize the parents on when he, they're kind of why like, do you put it on well i know i know like there's some but there's like why did they know. give him a harpoon <laughs> I don't know. It, it, that's it, what I, i've always wondered i will about. say it's a little weird to throw a party to right. like show off your son in the scuba outfit i don't think they threw it for that son. I, yeah. I don't think they threw it for that. I think they were like, "Oh, uh, well, it was Dad, a, why don't you put on an aqua suit we gave you?" And he just I, has who, no spine, so he did it. Rob, I'm never gonna have children, but when you get old, when Sam is older, can you get really drunk at a party? Be like, "Hey, who wants who wants to see him in a scuba suit?" <laughs> <laughs> I rented eight outfits. Let's make him put them all on for us. <laughs> I spent a lot of my scuba suit. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. He he uh that's uh that's uh uh Boy Meets World guy, isn't it? Yes, the dad? that's Mr. Yeah. Feeny. Yes, <laughs> Mr. Feeny. Um I that's like the o- I but I agree with Night you. Night Rider. <laughs> that's the only sequence that's outside of that sequence, which is like I mean like a minor complaint on them. He could have just said no. There are just, far worse things a parent yeah. could do. Uh, they seem like really good parents. Like they're they under- he's shaving, and his mom comes in, and like she yeah. broaches the topic of where he goes at night in like the coolest, nicest, most understanding way possible. And he can't; he just won't be honest with her. Like mm-hmm. all he would have to say is like, "I'm going to see a girl," and she would probably be happy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, he's not a completely useless uh, a slug of a man after all. He's not just laying in the pool. And that's all he does. To be fair, he couldn't have been honest there, Joe. I mean, he, no, he could have been he like, could have been halfway. Uh, well, that's you true. know my long-standing philosophy on this. It's it's easy to lie, <laughs> <laughs> but he lies in like like the most unbelievable way. Like, oh, I just go driving. Just I I going to see a woman, and I like her reaction that. to that. She's like, if you're gonna lie to me, I don't want to talk. I don't want to, you know, and just walks away. And I was like, oh, that's that's good. Yeah, She's, they're good. Also, a weird gender thing. I thought, uh, in like a good way. It's considering when this movie's made, there's this part uh, during the during the aqua suit scene, uh, Aquaman or not Aquaman, <laughs> Aqualung. Um, they should remake this movie with Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> no, they shouldn't. That'd be terrible. In in his Aquaman outfits the whole time. Uh, when when uh, they're trying to get Ben out, you know who's manning the grill? No, the, the mom is. Oh yeah, the mom is, and I thought that was interesting because. Uh, this little story for you. Um, uh, a, co- a former colleague of mine from many years ago 
uh, was married for quite a while, had kids, and then they got a divorce. His, his wife asked for a divorce. And he, like, told me that this was happening. And he said one of the things – this is, like, in the aughts. One of the things that got her really mad was when they would have people over for a barbecue and he would give the grill up to some other men. Like how that was emasculating, which I like, I still, I mean, that's insane. Hmm. But like thinking back. She sounds nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I I have no, I have no machoism issue there. If I'm having a grill Uh, out. I've witnessed Rob (laughs) neglect a grill and burn literally 15 hot dogs that he forgot about. Yeah, I was there for that. It looked like 15 like melted black pens. Like it was like someone just set down like 15 Sharpies on the grill. There's that picture of me just drunk, holding a huge platter of burned hot dogs with a big old smile. Burning yeah. burning up the easiest thing to cook. <laughs> the thing that's already cooked and you just yeah. need to heat up. The thing yeah. that you just need, yeah, you just need to get like a little bit of a grill line for effect. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, anyways, you know, I thought that was pretty progressive, you know, so his dad at least seems like... You know, I don't know. Their parents you, you know, fine. You know what we're a... seeing there? California what? values. Yeah. Mm. I was going <laughs> to say, all these pa- those parents are swingers for sure. Okay, so let's – so he doesn't want to get a job. He doesn't want to do anything. And this movie was made in a time period where, like, that was seen as cool. And he uh, then just sort of drifts about, and he decides – uh, and then eventually, uh, after uh, how long do you think that affair goes on before he goes on that first date with Mrs. Robinson's daughter, Elaine? Yeah, it seems like maybe into the summer, I and mean, it's hard to tell because it's California. Yeah, I would think not that. I mean, you know, he he graduates and then she comes back. I'm assuming like not too much later in the summer. So I, I thought I assumed like it was like maybe a you know a week or two of him seeing Mrs. Robinson until but Elaine comes back. I got the impression it was months. Oh, yeah, they've been because it's long enough where his mom asks about it, and they keep mentioning like she's coming home to visit from Berkeley. Like oh, so I think, think it's, it's into like... the I think it's into the fall. Oh yeah, it must be into at least the fall semester. Oh okay okay all right. I mean it it is tough to figure out the timeline on. That. Yeah, but it's it's a, it's a reasonably extended period of time, and then what he does to her that and that date. Is well, let's disgusting. Let's, I, I the old, the old Travis Bickle oh, move. <laughs> I want to, I want to get to that. But before that, we, I think we have the moment. Um, before that, where Mrs. Robinson does tell him, like, there's, a, is, it's before the date, right? When they have the moment when they're in bed, and he wants to talk to her about her daughter, which is super insane to up. me, right? Yeah, she is entirely reasonable about a not wanting to talk about her, and b not wanting him to ever see her. I don't know what the female term is for Eskimo brothers, but <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure that's racist. I'm gonna, well, I'm so... but I'll look that up uh, before uh, editing. Uh, Sorry, Inuit brothers. I can, I can. <laughs> according to AP style, Eskimo is racist now. So congratulations. Okay. Sorry, Inuit brothers. <laughs> that is not racist, but still wrong. <laughs> I'll have to check our download map for Alaska. <laughs> Moving forward. <laughs> Um, anyways, I, I told it, like, listen, you know, Mrs. Robinson is not without her faults in any way, but it is reasonable. I don't know what's wrong with, uh, I'm just, just for the sake of argument, what's wrong with her? Well, I mean, there is, there is a certain, like, 
position of power thing happening but in that early re- relationship between them like it's oh, not okay to just take your clothes off and be naked in front of someone without consent he takes her clothes off he unzips it no 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 earlier on in the house when uh he takes her home she takes she comes she shows up in the room naked i mean she's but, that, but before that he unzips her dress like she asks well, him to yeah. she asks him to many times after he says no and keeps i mean she's him. she I, i'll say she's forward uh I don't know if things were reversed, if genders were reversed. Well, well, of course, yeah. But I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, I know it's a little different, but I, I'm. It's a lot different. <laughs> well, I'll also like if you know, ge- if genders were reversed, like yeah, that uh, changes everything. That's true. But <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying is that um, if I were black, I'd experience racism. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying is that. Uh, you know, she's like one of the things that not funny, but was interesting is how like uh, a big thing about her. She's a former alcoholic, yet she's drinking all the time. And I'm like, I don't know if she's a former alcoholic. Does she say she's former? Yeah, because she's she mentions that uh, she mentions that early on when they're talking. About, and she, she seems to be a functioning alcoholic. And really, was she need to do in life? Well, I mean. Anyways, I like yeah. I like Mrs. Robinson. Like I don't want to like criticize Mrs. Robinson. I like her, but you know, <laughs> have sex with your husband. You know, sh- your husband's partner's son. Eh, maybe shouldn't do that. I I think she's just bored and maybe a little bit kind of nihilistic and just seeing what she can do. Which yeah, there's. I don't think she's. I don't have the level of judgment I do for almost everyone else in the movie. No, no, she's definitely my favorite character in this movie by far. Her, um, her daughter's pretty good too. I yeah. don't agree, but we'll, we'll Ooh, get there. Spicy take. Yeah. Um, we also have uh, in that bedtime conversation uh, a, a moment that I I don't know why it bothered me so much, but you know he's like pushing her to find out like you know how Elaine was born, like like how she like what happened. It was conceived. I, yeah. conceived yeah and she's like in a ford and he just can't get over how it's in a ford and i was like because what commoners drive fords i know like yeah. i was just like he, man he what is so terrible. bad he's such a wretched disgusting he just being. he just presses her on <laughs> pretty much the events that caused her life to spiral out of control and laughing at them yeah it's funny to him it's a funny it's a funny like anecdote to him and it's like this is her life it's like ah you got knocked up and ruined everything yeah. <laughs> sucker <laughs> Yeah, he's so. Yeah, then we have this awful date. I mean, reprehensible. Goes to the burlesque show with the titty tassels. Yes, and I, you know, in his he he has this moment where he, you know, she she runs off crying because I mean, he's just ignored her and embarrassed her the entire time, and then she runs off crying. And he has this comment, this line that you know, you know, it's a good man. Uh, when in a in a conversation like this, he says, "quote Could you just stop crying?" <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a that's a lot have, of empathy there from him. <laughs> uh, have you said that? No. And then he just kisses her. Yeah, yeah. And then apparently he's, t- he's turned on by the crying. And this is what my issue with Elaine is, is she's like, she's a nothing person too. Like, she's just like, oh, okay, I like him now. Is she an NPC person? (laughs) Yeah, she kind of is. Like, she doesn't do anything. Things just act on her. Whatever acts on her 
she does right so uh he likes her so she's all in on him then uh you know then someone proposes to her and she's like oh yeah i like him and then he comes back and she's like oh whatever like i don't know she's she's in a lot of ways like just as much of a problem well she had messed up parents and is just doing what society told her to do to an extent to an extent but i mean we if we if we're gonna like really try to sketch out the backstory here like if, if her mom is an alcoholic yeah, that kind of explains her like kind of desperately seeking like approval and affection from whoever will give it for, to her. Yeah, that's a good. Because one would imagine that 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 dad dude is gone a lot. And and what's it? Here's the other weird thing. It's like I always kind of think about. So the night that she that Ellen, Mrs. Robinson comes on to Ben, mm-hmm. uh, it's because her husband left, and. Um, was going to be gone for a few hours and he comes back just hammered with golf yeah. clubs with golfing <laughs> at night as you do <laughs> just just dripping with sweat also by the way <laughs> so, so like, what was so, he up to he was not golfing <laughs> <laughs> so the mayor from jaws was going to come in and find uh benjamin balls deep in his wife <laughs> so like w- was he off fooling around with some other woman Pro- uh, probably no. or uh, is he is he a drunk as well I just don't think he cares. I I, I mean, I just I, think, I kind of assume that it's kind of like Mad Men and they're all drunks. Yeah, is this I, movie just basically like the Ice Storm, but it's trying to be funny? It does give me that vibe, and that it's it's just these upper middle class suburbanites. I mean, uh, that are I just would say it, straight upper class. Yeah, I. It doesn't seem. It seems beyond middle class. It's yeah. yeah it just seems. It seems, yeah, they don't really have to work too hard and that they're just kind of living through their kids and just, I envision that when we're not seeing them, they're just at key parties and doing- Just trying to find Quaaludes and- (laughs) Something that will get their heart rate up. They're just, they're so bored. They're just creating these dirty scandals to like just try to make their lives interesting. I mean, and if I guess now that that's sort of pushing back my own argument. So if if that is true, then I guess you could see why Ben would act this way because he wouldn't want to be like his parents. But that's that's the plastics thing, right? Like that's kind of meant to be like, oh, plastics are just this phony, you know, uh, plastic, right? Like, sure. (laughs) Yeah. So but but I just I just don't buy it because he doesn't have a personality. So, like, I, yeah, there's nothing about him that makes you think he cares about anything else either. Well, we never hear he's like, no, I want to do this, or you guys are phonies, or whatever. He, he doesn't into the wild or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so one one thing I want to, and this is a another classic fail son trait that doesn't really, I guess it gets talked about a little, is that he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't. No. Have, yeah, it's he, super weird. He doesn't have any relationships except that are inappropriate or weird and you see it where they go to the hamburger uh the drive drive up drive in yeah. whatever yeah, yeah. and he's, he's yeah. just annoyed by like the kids his own age he's like oh yeah, gets to it listening to loud music yeah it's like oh friggin hippies with your music god that moment too where he's just like i mean he, this is a, this is the thing is i don't this is kind of why I still like this movie because I don't really know where the heart of this movie is, like what they're trying to do, because that's a moment where that's happening. And it's not just him rolling the windows up, but because he's so rich, he's got to put a whole roof on. Like it's this convertible, like putting the roof back on and stuff. Like So it's- here's – this is a good uh, jumping off point to this is that it's always been weird to me that this is such a boomer touchstone movie because this is a movie that's set in 
I mean, it was 1967 and, you know, most people saw it in 1968 and there is no connection to the time. None. So, I mean, if you think about it, like what, what was happening on colleges in late 1967 and early 1968? Yeah. Yeah. You have, I mean. That's There's, just when it's starting to get a little violent in the anti-Vietnam protest. And so this was, number one, 1967 was the Summer of Love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in, 19, in January of 68 was the Tet Offensive, which was kind of the height of anti-war hysteria. And there's just, it's weird to me that this is a movie about young, to-do, upper, like mid, middle class people and there's no mention of vietnam and in berkeley in berkeley in berkeley <laughs> like ground the summer of love berkeley was ground zero like all of northern california and so i was watching this and i was thinking like what is there any mention of vietnam in this and i read that afterwards dustin hoffman and mike nichols the director mm-hmm. they went out and they did college tours and it was kind of like a word of mouth roadshow type thing and all the questions they just kept getting were like, why isn't this about Vietnam? And why why isn't there anything about Vietnam? And it's weird that this movie has doesn't have the ultimate youth issue of that time in it. And yet it's regarded as, to a lot of people, the defining youth movement of the 1960s. Well, part of that is it's based on a book that was written much earlier. That is true. And and it's and it's like filming while this stuff is going on, so they can't exactly adjust to it. I was looking at, uh, looking up, you know, stuff that maybe we could use for this episode. And I mean, there's an article in the Times from a couple of years ago, why The Graduate is a Vietnam movie. And wow. uh, I let's just say I do not find it convincing. <laughs> <laughs> and but a lot I've, of people think that. And I just I just don't I don't. I found it. I found an article saying that The Graduate is, uh, that the the Graduate because it eschews politics it connects and is timeless which i really don't agree with but yeah i mean i i get the i get the under i get the point behind that though you know what i mean i like, get the intent was, but it's yeah. just it is and maybe some of this is unfair but it is bizarre to me that a movie set at the height of anti-vietnam protests on colleges amongst young people has nothing about it maybe that says more about baby boomers <laughs> Well, well, I mean, it says a lot about Mike Nichols, who I, I do somewhat admire overall, but um, he's so wrong about this movie. Uh, so you mentioned that college tour, and I guess they were just badgered constantly by activists about why the movie doesn't talk about Vietnam. And Nichols, and this is, he actually said this, the war is, quote, a fashionable topic. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he said, like, uh, later on, to make a movie for young people that was not about Vietnam actually affronted them. And that, like, kind of shows, like, the same sort of um, disconnect from people who are older than us talking about, like, what's been going on since we graduated from college where they uh, – actually, I should say since we graduated from high school where they started an illegal war based on lies and plundered the treasury and basically destroyed – the, any chance of being a homeowner and having a comfortable retirement for broad swaths of our generation <laughs> and 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 they just don't get why we're mad about it uh, yeah i i totally agree and a reason for that is that this is a movie made about young people made by people pushing 40 
Yeah, he was. He, he's and he's actually young for a director when he made yes, this too, which is kind of weird. He's thirty six, but for that time, he was very, very old. Yeah, I mean, to be making a movie, you know, you'd think that this would be like a. Again, some of this is just because of its reputation. You'd think, oh, this was made by some twenty-five-year-old and it was guerrilla filmmaking. And it's like, no, this is a. I mean, Mike Nichols came from theater. Dustin Hoffman came from theater. My, Dustin Hoffman was thirty and looks it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, the guy who wrote, uh, you mentioned that it was a it was a novella written in nineteen sixty-three, and it was written by Charles Webb, who at that time was thirty-eight. Super interesting dude, that guy. Yeah, I have. I, I don't know much about him. Tell me about him. Uh, I, I know that there's a super weird story about the the sequel that he refused to release the sequel, right? Because he would lose the movie rights or something. I don't know about that. I have some content about the book sequel he wrote. Uh, but Rob, did you do some research? There, like him and his uh, his wife are like super. Like I think they um. All right, here we go. As of 2006, um, Charles Webb, I almost said George Webb. <laughs> had been this- he, he was bankrupted because the brewers kept scoring too many runs, and he had to give away hamburgers. So they're like these like really weird like hippie people. So as of 2006, Webb had been with his long-term partner, Eve, for more than 40 years. Eve shaves her head and calls herself Fred in solidarity oh. with a Californian support group called Fred for men who have low self-esteem. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> so was ben, was ben based on those men? <laughs> this gets better. <laughs> the cu- <laughs> Sorry. The couple has two sons, one of whom is now a performance artist who once cooked and ate a copy of The Graduate with cranberry sauce. <laughs> uh, I actually did. I heard about the cranberry sauce thing. Um, so what I saw they is that... They also managed a nudist camp in New Jersey at one point. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. A lot of mosquitoes uh, in New Jersey. That seems like a bad place for a nudist camp. So what I was interested in is that uh, I think it was like 40 years later, he wrote a follow-up sequel. And so I, I really wanted to know more, but I could only f- find brief, uh, very overarching summaries. But it says... Uh, Benjamin and Elaine are now married and living in Westchester County, New York, and are fighting to allow their sons to be homeschooled. Mm-hmm. They turn to Mrs. Robinson to help them. So the sequel is basically all about how much they hate the educational system and think that they can do it better through homeschooling. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I was reading before. So he never published it. Uh, because uh, when he sold, this is according to Wikipedia, he sold the film rights to The Graduate, and when he did that, he surrendered the rights to any sequels. So he argued if he published Homeschool, which that's what the book is called, then they would be able to adapt it to the screen without his permission. So he's been, um, I think it finally did get published in, in the UK in 2007, but he worked for a really long time to try to work around that and try to get the French to like, sue on his behalf to keep um, Canal from being able to adapt it. So this is just all around some peak boomer nonsense. It is. It is. It is. And so I I think what we're, what we're not even talking about yet is what I think is the strangest part of this movie. Uh, Not even, that's not even the ending, but it's the, uh, he goes to Berkeley to stalk her. And and before that he tells his parents that he's getting married and it's like this like real moment. And then, and there's no reason to lie to them. He doesn't have to do that. And then they're just like, oh yeah, I'm, I, they, 
you know, she doesn't know yet. And I, she's, and I haven't asked yet. And she's probably not even going to Normal conversation you have with your parents. <laughs> yep, yeah. Absolutely. Terrible. So then he stalks her. And, like, he, he like, ruins that, that like, date she's going to have. Oh, he's just awful. He's just absolutely terrible. This is the part of the movie that I and I think most people forget about. It's not good. Yeah, as soon as he stops, like, his relationship with Mrs. Robinson, it, it gets really boring. So here – but here's where the movie starts to make me think, and and I refuse to read anything Mike Nichols says about it or anyone involved because I, I think the movie should just speak for itself. So it's entirely possible that they directly contradict this line of thinking. But I think there is an argument to be made that the film – the film itself hates Ben and we're supposed to dislike him. Yeah. And it starts from this point where so like they have all those those shots of the chimps and like the gorilla and stuff <laughs> which is not subtle. Just like the Omen. No, it's not clearly subtle. yeah, it's clearly trying to say something. So are we supposed to think like is it supposed to argue that Ben is just behaving like a like subhuman like primate or something and just acting on his most base urges to eat like either he wants to sleep with her or he just doesn't want to be lonely, like, yeah. Because because there is like why does he, why does he like her? Like he doesn't he doesn't th- until she starts crying and seems sad. I don't. And then all I, of a sudden he's in love with her. I think he likes her because he shouldn't, right? I mean, I think I think uh, forbidden. In a lot of ways, this movie like listen, this movie guessed Pornhub results in about forty years pretty well. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you need to watch this movie on incognito browsing. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you get nothing but like. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because it is it is you get super nothing broken. Nothing but stepsister videos or something. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so broken in that like you know I, what makes him interested in Elaine is after he's through with her mom, and that her mom tells her don't don't whatever you do, don't like date Elaine and his his whole problem with it is like oh you just don't think I'm good enough which is insane no it, I mean that's probably true but also like <laughs> yeah well like, not, first of all, not yeah. the big issue uh, she well, tells and, him and, that too yeah. but he doesn't like her until she he, he begins liking her when it becomes clear that she doesn't like him I, I mean which is just like such classic like abusive male behavior that like now I have an opportunity to to control this person doesn't this movie and and the like what we know now and just sort of how times have changed like when i was watching this movie and i my my thoughts on this movie are different than you guys um to some extent but uh once he goes to berkeley and he gets that like room in that house and he's just stalking her and chasing rocky balboa's apartment right yeah (laughs) it starts to make me think like i'm like is this does this become like an active shooter movie like it's so like scary to me how it's just so terrifying how he's stalking her like it's so it's so wrong you mentioned him earlier but there's some real travis bickle hours going on here yeah this is this is if trick travis bickle had rich parents he (laughs) is he is an upper crust incel well no what this movie is is travis bickle before he got drafted yeah, because <laughs> mm. like it would uh, text driver comes out what nine years later. Yeah, so so, so, so Travis Bickle has just been after he comes back. Mm. I like <laughs> oh, this. Yeah. It's the the graduate cinematic universe. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, oh one thing I, I did want to say uh, one more thing on the Vietnam angle, and this is relevant to that, is that supposedly in an early version of a script there was a 
a conversation Ben has with a friend who was drafted and is going to Vietnam. And it says that the friend is jealous of Ben's convertible and that he didn't have the same opportunities. And and that the friend tells Ben, if it weren't for the dumb guys like us, the smart guys like you would have to go, which is true. (laughs) Yep, that should be in the movie. Yeah. And so this was, there's a book called, I guess, Seduced by Mrs. Robinson, which kind of talks about everything that went into making the movie. But I found that was interesting that there maybe was uh, a draft that addresses Vietnam and then edits it out. This movie sure is white too. Speaking of, uh, oh man, like yeah. the, the time it takes place and it just like, it's just it's not an issue. Uh, Again, it's just so divorced from the young experience in 1967, 68. It just like everything you ever see. Any documentary will talk about like race riots and the civil rights movement and vietnam and the summer of love and there's nothing just nothing he also breaks into her house later in this movie as you do um i mean it's just it's just insane and i and i agree uh ultimately every problem every issue everything that happens to to ben is self-made right like mrs robinson mr robinson getting mad at him elaine you know um uh, losing his place, even running out of gas, like even like yeah. everything, you're just like this he was is just all... at a gas station. I, <laughs> I actually okay. I know I know people don't like my theories, but part of me wonders. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm ready for it. Part of me wonders if uh, I like to see this movie a little different than you guys, and and that is that he gets in the car, it runs yeah. out of gas, and that begins like you know uh ben's life as just a nobody like a drifter and that whole ending scene at the wedding at the church all that stuff never happens uh, that's uh, just he he starts using drugs so he, i don't know what so happens so actually what really happens is he hitchhikes and peter fonda and dennis hopper pick him up yep and he just does way too much lsd and yep. just becomes a complete burnout and, and he this. dies of dehydration somewhere in like western california or eastern southeastern california in the desert perfect uh, and this is all hallucination perfect does this movie own now uh yeah. my that i i very much like that scenario my first thought was that the movie ends with the first shot of uh, first blood where he's just dressed, he's wandering. Where he's Brian just Brian Dennehy is like just, giving him a hard time. Yeah, he's just dressed in like a burlap sack or whatever, and he's got his okay, his G, his his stuff in a sack, and he's just like, "I'm here to see my friend in the Pacific Northwest." I got it. So, so how this works is he he gets drafted soon after this because he won't get a job, mm-hmm. and then he comes back and resettles in New York as far away from California as he can get. And he gets a job as a taxi driver, <laughs> and then eventually he shoots up uh, a uh, a pimp's house where he was abusing yep. an underage prostitute. Yep. He gets off uh, because a jury refuses to find him guilty because of the sympathetic nature of his crime. <laughs> then he tries to resettle in rural. What? Where does First Blood take place? Uh, it's, Pennsylvania. It's, no, it's like the. I thought it was the Pacific Northwest. Oh, it is specific. Okay, so he, then he goes like, "Well, that's enough time on this coast. Yeah, let's head to the other one again." And at this, he's put on a lot of muscle since then. He works out his whole way. <laughs> he looks him. very different. No longer yeah. Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> he's adopted the uh, well, a stri- he, a striking lispy Italian. In 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 Vietnam, he he learns to be Italian, <laughs> and, and 
And then uh, between uh, after, during that trial, the the trauma from his injuries gives him a speech impediment yes. and brain damage. There, <laughs> that's it. it. And that that would be what you just described. There would be the quintessential boomer movie. Yeah. Then he finds out that actually he had a son with Elaine, and he drives a truck across country. Uh, making money doing arm wrestling competitions mm. to try to win his son back. Gotcha. And then it ends with meet the parents. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've did it. We did it. Okay, the GCU, but- the Graduate Cinematic Universe. But like, why don't you get moved through the summary? So yeah, he run. He ran out of gas. He runs out of gas, and then the movie gets real weird. Silly. Um, it's silly. It gets silly. Which uh, you know, my uh. <clears throat> we talk about this movie, and I know you guys uh, don't like it at all, um, which is fine. Well, I, I do like it if you guys agree with me about what the ending is supposed to mean, but we'll get to that later. Okay. So so he gets to the church. He gets to the church, and she's getting married right then. Um, well, it and- seems like she got married. I was going to say, that's another thing I had forgotten, <laughs> yeah. is that they've said I do. <laughs> they they are legal. Is that legally binding? I don't know. I don't uh, really know. No, that's not legally binding. It, it's a document. No. Oh, that. Oh my gosh, that reminds me. Whoa, we settle down. Talk, oh settle down, God. Beavis. Oh, I'm sorry. We didn't talk about. <laughs> we didn't talk settle about down, something Beavis. that I couldn't. I couldn't get over. Earlier, he asks <laughs> when Ben asks Elaine to marry him, and he's just like, "We got to get that blood test. <laughs> we got to get that blood test." And I was yeah, like, that was the thing you used to have to do, I think. Yeah, do you know what that blood test is for, guys? Isn't it's it TV, just to make right? sure you're not cousins? See, that's what I thought, Duff, but Joe is right. It is to check for STDs, more specifically gonorrhea. Hmm. It doesn't happen anymore. But the idea was like a public health thing. Like, well, we got all these people. They got to come together, and they're going to have kids, so we should – you know, we're, they're, you know, they're going to have sex, so we might as well make sure that no one has an STD so it doesn't – Like, He was very concerned about that blood test. Very concerned, <laughs> which uh, reminds me, guys, of a quick – can I tell a quick story about my father? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, always. Of course. Yes. Um, I, uh, he once told me – my dad always had these stories, and I, I never knew how much these stories were true – how much were untrue, and also how much my dad knew of the truth of them. <laughs> like any good dad story. Yeah. So he one time started telling me about the clamp. And I was like... The clamp? Uh, and I had no idea what the clamp was, but the clamp, I later learned, is... The is clap? Slaying. Yeah, the clap, clap, sorry. The clap, sorry. Oh, uh, my God. I thought I your know. dad called it the clamp, but no. it was you. Okay. Sorry, I was, I was... The clamp. The clamp? <laughs> I mean the clap, the clap, the clap. Unbelievable. Uh, and I didn't know what the clap was. I had to like later learn that it was gonorrhea. And he told me, "This is this is my dad's this is my dad's like story to like safe sex, I guess. Essentially, is uh, you don't want to get the clap because he said I knew a guy that got the clap, and his pecker swelled up so much." That they had to lay it on a the doctor had to lay it on a table. <laughs> oh man. And they had to take a rubber mallet and then just hit no. it really hard. No. This did not no. happen. This that did not happen. <laughs> Listen, that's what I'm gonna tell hey, my son because it worked. Sc- <laughs> you can't tell lie with scared straight stories when there's the internet now. Yeah. I mean, if it worked on you, that's good. Yeah, it did. <laughs> well, but, he, little did he know he did not need to tell scary stories to keep you from getting an STD. Like, you would, you won't even call. You won't even call because the girl's dad might answer. Yeah, that's true. I'm just that's in, this true. some guy taking out his like elephant man. 
walk onto a table and then someone <laughs> like like a like a a Warner Brothers cartoon just slant yeah, exactly. just like an anvil coming down. Do so, we get that shipment from Acme yet? <laughs> <laughs> so I wondered. That's probably well, what I'm saying is I wonder if Ben's dad told him that same story and that's why he I was w- so concerned about the. Blood I wonder test. if you have the option of having a safe dropped on it instead. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry piano. to interrupt. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt about the ending. But so, yes, they're married. They're they've gotten married. Yeah. So, and Ben bangs on the glass. So, first of all, two things. Uh, this is one of those famous endings. I think that I had that was spoiled by parody, both yeah. by yeah, the, from both Wayne's World two from Wayne's World two, and there was a Simpsons parody. Yeah. But yes, Wayne's World two was where I learned the ending. Where Charlton the- Heston plays the gas station guy. <laughs> yeah. And then he breaks up the wrong wedding. <laughs> so yeah, he has Ben comes in there. He starts screaming at for her name, screaming Elaine. Uh, one fun fact about this movie that reminds me of is uh, we know Ben and Elaine. Uh, we know the kids' names, but everyone else is Mister and Mrs. Yeah, we never find out their first names, as far as I know. Um, but he starts screaming, and then and then uh, she starts. He starts screaming Elaine, and then she screams out for him, and then run towards him, and then. A fight happens, <laughs> and he literally he, weapon, he weapon, weaponizes a crucifix, yes. which yes. is which is actually genuinely pretty funny. It is, yeah, because it's 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 played like without laughs. It, it becomes a Benny Hill routine all of a sudden. It, yeah, this ending gets so weird. Then they just jump on a public bus. A really weird looking bus, by the way. We should it bring is. back like the orange buses. But here's a, here's what bugged me before that though is Mrs. Robinson yells it's too late to elaine and then she screams not for me mm. and it's like there's this like i know like lots of people obviously interpret that as like it's a great moment of like the generation speaking out like we're yeah. not going to live the life that you live the boring unfulfilling life yep but but then they get on that bus and i know i'm not the first person to argue well, i'm not even close to the first person to argue it but like a lot of people read it this way, is that they get on the bus and within like 20 seconds they regret everything that they did. The adrenaline and, wears off and they're like, what did we just do? That yeah, was dumb. Especially him. Like, I think you look at his face and he, and, and would you even be remotely surprised if like an hour later he was just like, ah, uh, never mind. He just, oh, no, not at all. He just pulls the cord and gets off like, oh, see you later. I mean, <laughs> if, if you, like, what do you think the chances of that relationship works out? Not even saying long term, like for a month, I would be like, no, not, not, well, not going apparently to. They, apparently, they proved you wrong and had some homeschooled kids. Probably, <laughs> yes. They're probably anti-vaxxers, too. <laughs> uh, the author of The Graduate, uh, those two, they were also homeschooled their kids and had to fight California in order to do it. So mm-hmm. that's probably where that comes from. Um, but, yeah, the ending is Not is a fan strange. of homeschooling, so fight me, listeners. <laughs> I like I like I like I like the sequence on the tr- I actually like when they're on the bus, but everything to get to the bus is Benny Hill. Yeah. Do you so do you guys so that's where I'm willing to think like maybe I'm mis- misreading the movie. Like you you there is an argument to be made that this movie is a critique of Ben and that the movie itself is saying that he's a bad person yeah. and that the fact that his look at the end is so am- ambiguous and could fairly easily be read that he regrets what he did and thinks he made a mistake. And if that is the case, then this movie definitely thinks that he sucks. Yeah. And if that's the case, then I, I guess I still don't like the movie because then what's the point of it? But but it's it's at least more interesting. I do think that there's – I think that the ending, if 
if it wasn't the case then it surely reads now as oh this was a mistake we don't know what we're doing and i think if not consciously subconsciously mike nichols did that intentionally and the reason i think of that is because what movie did mike nichols make the year prior to this uh virginia wolf who's afraid of virginia wolf which is which is number one a fantastic movie and but number two like the ultimate like this is what happens when broken people get married they just destroy each other so i mean mike nichols is a smart guy the the first half of this movie the first like half hour of this movie to me like Mike Nichols kills it so much. Like I just think the first thirty minutes we just directed so well that it's crazy that this movie is like whatever fifty years old or however old it is because it doesn't. It's it's still now like visually, I just think super clever and interesting, and and and, and for like solid thematic reasons, not just not just to do it. That's kind of why, like in some ways, I feel like this movie does deserve its greatness. Uh, you know, because I think Mike Nichols is so good in this. I mean, there's to me, there's three main things that are well, four main things that are happening that make this movie. So I like it. Mike Nichols is awesome directing this movie. The performances all around are really good. The music we haven't talked about that, but oh, like, yeah, I can't. The, I'm excited to get duff worked <laughs> up about that. The 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 Simon and Garfunkel soundtrack is very good, and I think like this end has this like you know ambiguity, which which kind of gives this movie a lot of legs. In this year of our Lord 2018, I'm not not a big fan of it, but I do think it's a you-had-to-be-there movie, and I think that it's also a movie where it's been referenced and parodied and discussed to death, and now it's kind of like... There's just certain movies of that ilk where you almost know it before you watch it. And I don't, that probably hurts it for me, even though I'd seen it once before many years ago. Like I just, yeah, it, it's, it's hard for me. I didn't dig it watching it again. Maybe some of that I think is just legitimate um, boomer narcissism. Some of it I think is attributed to just, it's a product of its time and it's been saturated into the culture. I think that, if you guys will permit me, and then I think we should talk about the soundtrack. Yeah. I think that Roger Ebert, as he usually did, said it best. And, and this is from the second paragraph of his reappraisal that he wrote in 1997. The Graduate, released in 1967, contains no flower children, no hippies, no dope, no rock music, no political manifestos, and no danger. It is a movie about a tiresome bore and his well-meaning parents. The only character in the movie who is alive, who can see through situations, understand motives, and dare to seek her own happiness is Mrs. Robinson. Seen today, The Graduate is a movie about a young man of limited interest who gets a chance to sleep with the ranking babe in his neighborhood and throws it away in order to marry her dorky daughter. Uh, And then I think that another sentence from it that really works out... Benjamin Braddock, the clueless hero of The Graduate, was swept in on that wave of feeling, and there he's referring to sort of the late those late 60s sexual and political revolutions even though it is clear today that he's utterly unaware of his generation and existed outside time and place he seems most at home at the bottom of a swimming pool yeah and Savage. I, I really think that yeah. that sums it up really well uh famously uh pauline kale hated this movie at the time when it came yep. out i was trying to find that review online but i 
think you have to buy I the book. I couldn't find it either because I knew that she didn't like it. And uh, Richard Schickel didn't like it either at the time. Another pretty famous. Another dick. Um, one before we get into the soundtrack, we kind of touched on this and how um, popular this was. But it is when you think about it, it is insane that this movie was the number one grossing movie of the year. It's it it adjusted for inflation. It is the twenty second and according to Wikipedia, and perhaps it hasn't been updated for a while. So maybe some more movies have passed it by. As of, you know, within the last few years, I would imagine, it was the 22nd highest grossing film adjusted for inflation, well, which it, is absolutely unbelievable. It made, yeah, it made over $100 million in 1967, which is wow. insane. The, yeah. num- the, like, the number two grossing movie of the year was The Jungle Book. So this was a phenomenon. And it is weird to think, just thinking about like what the number one movie is of the year in the last 20 years it's always something that's a franchise or something but it's just weird to go back to that period when this was an era when kind of weird adult movies like this could be massive hits well it's it's more of an indictment of hollywood and how it just totally ignored the youth market for decades at that point so any movie even as one as clumsy as this one that's that's made for people in their teens and 20s is going to yeah. be a phenomenon. Like if you think about like Easy Rider and you go back and you watch that movie, if you watch it now for the first time, you're just like, well, I guess. But yeah, it's that's... hard to like. It, but the reason it was so successful back then is because it was just so so unbelievably different. But now yeah. you look at it and it's just like, oh, uh, okay. yeah. And that that again gets into before it's become a cultural cliche. Sure. Uh, so the soundtrack. Simon Garfunkel is the very definition of boomer nonsense and paul simon sucks and i'll fight you duff let's go uh you think paul simon sucks just based on his tour of south africa uh and not based on and uh, all that and all the songs he ever made Nah, i like i'll i'll sucks sucks to be wrong (laughs) i don't think i am but i like graceland but i i simon garfunkel to me is uh it's fine it's fine there's songs I like. There's songs I don't like. Like I really like "Sound of Silence." I mean, who doesn't? Um, uh, you know, there's a few other songs I like, like it's, "Scarborough Fair." But you know what I don't like? It's so boring. I don't ever. I, 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 this is a hate song for me. This is a hate song for me, guys. Okay. Bridge over troubled water is just absolute <laughs> trash. I hate it so much. It is an instant skip whenever I hear it. I just that orchestra, the whole thing. It's just oh god, I can't, I can't deal with that song. First off, uh, Rob is entirely wrong, so I'm not even gonna get worked about it. Yeah, not, oh. not, not even gonna get can worked. I, can I make a counterpoint? Mm-hmm. He's not wrong. No. <laughs> You're just both of you are just so wrong that it's it's not even worth getting mad about. All right, Uh, silver girl. uh, So first of all, this is independent of the. I don't this the Simon and Garfunkel songs in this movie. Number one, they feel they don't really feel except for maybe Sounds of Silence, like they they really fit, and that's because they weren't written for this movie and Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols wanted Paul Simon to write original songs for it, but Paul Simon was busy, and 
so they were just using these songs as placeholders and then he's like oh those are pretty good let's keep them and it's weird like eh, the whole mrs robinson as a song is i like i like the melody i but the lyrics are just they remind me of a not great rem song where it's just random incoherent babbling and nothing there's nothing to do with anything and the song was originally called mrs roosevelt and mike nichols like oh just rename it mrs robinson and it none of it really makes any sense so i'm i'm not gonna go i'm not even gonna go to bat really for simon and garfunkel in this movie uh what i will say uh, i love i i the entire catalog overall of Simon and Garfunkel. I love it. I've, I've stated this before and I know it causes Rob to have an aneurysm. If you told me it's like, you can have this or the Beatles, it would in a heartbeat. I'd take Simon and Garfunkel. (laughs) It's funny. Well, I mean, I think we should disclose to the listeners that you also have a condition where your heart rate can't ever go up above a resting level. So I, I think music. I think Paul Simon is as good a songwriter as any of the individual Beatles. Uh, I think, I think art. Also, that's not a minority opinion. No, there's a lot of white it is in this agree. podcast. Uh, I think art, the only opinions that matter. I think Art Garfunkel has one of the most uh, angelic voices in all of pop music, and I think especially with Bookends and Bridge Over Troubled Water, uh, I would easily take that over any psychedelic Beatle nonsense. Uh, here's 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 what I'll say. I I don't hate Simon and Garfunkel. I've I've listened to all their albums. Um, I won't say I hate them. I just they, they, I I just don't get what the big my, deal is. My wife, my wife, uh, really likes them. Um, You've said that every episode. I think I know. Oh, it's on brand. That's good. To me, when I listen to Simon and Garfunkel, I think they are the Coldplay of the '60s. <laughs> I think that's a really good comparison. Like they're not. They're fine. There's some really good songs. I don't understand why people are such a big fan, um, but Duffid Brooks over there just goes. To- <laughs> they they have they they have pretty songs and they have nothing to say. Mm, incorrect. But the but the Beatles thing is crazy to me. It's that's an insane take. It's, it's insane. Not, well, one thing that kind of gets forgotten is that from nineteen like during like Simon and Garfunkel's like kind of like biggest years, which were like 68 to 70, they were probably like commercially more popular than the Beatles. So no, I'm just saying like, it's not that insane of a take. Yeah. Like, I mean, they had the big, like, you know, central park thing. And that was like in 1980. Right. Way later. But yeah. Okay. But that, was I mean like the, the, I mean, book bookends and bridge over troubled water were kind of the really, really big albums. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think Mrs. Robinson is a nonsense song, so I'm not going to get worked up over this yeah, movie. Yeah, that song sucks. Ebert closes out this this great reappraisal by saying, I wonder how long it took him to get into plastics. And I would say two years, top, like if that. Like he absolutely voted for Reagan and Bush. Like he he is... Uh, just an angry white suburban dad. He did a ton of life. he did a ton of coke in the seventies while he was basically hanging out with Donald Trump, <laughs> in He's, in the Manhattan real estate district. And, sexually harassed dozens of women. Oh yes, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, no doubt about that. And, and I think like to go back to like where we started with this is I know uh, kind of 
and I guess it depends on you know what the intent was, which we're not really sure. But uh, just on his face, uh, Ben 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 Braddock is is I mean he's just everything that's bad about that generation. Like if, it's just he's just awful. Yeah, I will say this just about this movie watching it and also just like i said these these like uh post-college these graduate if you will movies is yes life is really hard after college and the thing is i've been thinking about this more and more like life's really hard all the time like it's really hard when you were younger as kids and it was really hard you know as a teenager god knows as hard as a teenager and you know in some ways, I guess college is the only time where it's not that hard a lot of times. Uh, but then it's really hard after college. It's really hard being a young adult. It's really hard being like, we're all like graduated adults doing what you're supposed to do. It's really hard then too. Especially, it would be one thing if this was just kind of a solid middle class story. But this is upper crust this is just yeah, rich pe- these are the houses where i expected charles manson to show up and <laughs> Here, here's how here's how i would sum, here's how i would sum it up i was watching rewatching this movie and i was the thing i was thinking about was like man how can he afford so many nights in that hotel <laughs> yeah <laughs> well which i guess speaks how, to <laughs> how, i mean even though it isn't nice how does he just hang out in berkeley for a semester a couple of weeks months we don't know but. I mean, money is never an issue for him. Like that is not that is like that's an interesting thing uh, from this era too. Is like it's post college. Like now, if that story is told, which it has been he many would times, be, he would be two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, you're yeah. like a, you know you're trying to pay bills. You know, like a stuff like that's happening. This is just like he just like money is it, he can do whatever he wants. This is just him stalking a woman, just trying to conquer someone. Yeah, that's what this yeah. movie's about. So um, that raises an interesting question. Are there what are the movies from this era that actually do better? Well, I would say that that if you're thinking of movies that capture what I imagine I would have felt like at that that time period, then the one from this same I think the same year would be Bonnie and Clyde. I think at least like that one does sort of have like an attitude to it and i think that young people would watch that young people angry feeling like their government is lying to them that their parents generation has left this war hungry machine in control of everything and have that desire to just leave society completely and just reject it entirely and 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 live like in sort of that anarchical anarchical sense of uh like outside of society that i sort of get like I can see Bonnie and Clyde speaking to me. Obviously, like going on a murder bank murder spree is yeah. not what I would do. do that. But that attitude, I would, I, I sort of understand. Plus, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I haven't watched I, it in a long Bonnie, time. Bonnie, I mean, Bonnie and Clyde, infinitely superior. I, great movie compared to this. Yeah. Can I? This is what I was thinking, and and I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but like, what is going to be, you know, when we, um, are, like. 50 some year old tiresome bores and we're people are like well what's the movie of our generation i think a good comparison uh to this one would just be garden state which i think is basically the same movie and like was obviously trying to be the voice of our generation when it came out and obviously now is entirely forgotten and laughed at and the same thing should have happened to the graduate probably like the shins are the simon and garfunkel of our time (laughs) and (laughs) I like and Zach Braff, bit, its but... character in there is just as one-dimensional and boring and terrible as and that Ben's move, character. That movie is also 
entirely almost entirely removed from the social and economic concerns of the day except for that isn't there some gimmick that that guy collected uh desert storm trading cards i mean i i I think listeners it's midnight boys consensus garden state sucks uh so you should come at us i'll just say that i saw that movie once in the theater and i enjoyed it yeah, and I saw it with you, and we I both have, liked it. I, that, then we thought about it more, and we're yeah, like, oh, and wait, I've never, actually, it sucks. <laughs> I've never rewatched it because I know I won't like it. So it's like a movie where I've decided, like, well, I have really good memories it, of it, and I'm just going to – I'm I'm not going back to it It's a mo- I know it's, I'll hate it's it. It's a movie that tells you not to take your depression meds because they take away who you are, man. Yeah, yeah which I is mean, a I, really deeply dangerous and also wrong uh, – <laughs> Like that, that kept me from getting help for a long time, that attitude. I don't know if it's, I don't think it captures our generation as a whole, but I think I, well, it captures a subset of people that we all have to certain degrees been like, and maybe are still like, uh, I think high fidelity is kind of a touchstone for a certain kind of pop culture obsessive. And I think that that movie actually does a lot of things a lot better than the graduate because that's a movie it's where more of a gen x movie though isn't it eh, i mean it's yeah it's i kind of i mean we're in kind of that gray zone where we have some gen x tendencies but also some millennial tendencies and i just think that that movie is really good at number one just kind of from kind of the get-go making you realize that this guy is a man child and that he goes through a character arc but one thing that people also forget about is that his um, girlfriend, that movie, Laura, is a great character. And that there's this point where she talks about how, like, she had to grow up and get a real job. And she's he says something to the extent of, like, yeah, I couldn't go to work with pink hair when I was a lawyer's assistant or something. And, like, she is the one who just kind of like, yeah, you know what? I finally grew up and I finally got it. And I just had to stop, you know, going out every night and partying and being a kind of in the music scene and just be an adult. And but she does, she doesn't, she's not apologetic for it. She's like, this is the way the world is, and I dealt with it. I kind of think that that's a really positive example of showcasing. Number one, it kind of shows you people actually having a character arc, unlike The Graduate. And number yeah. two, I think that it is very soul searching and kind of shows you it really rich characters. I, I'm a big fan of that movie. What about Shaun of the dead? Uh, explain. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I honestly, I, I, I mean, I'm familiar with it, but I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not super familiar with it. Well, so I'm trying to like, I, I'm trying to like figure out a, an answer for Joe's question here, but like I, I, a, it's about like, someone who's sort of like directionless right and and you know struggling young kind of the post-college age that we sort of talked about but sort of living in this in this world pop culture is a big part of this which i think is huge for a generation like connections to like pop culture and then i think there's just like uh you know this like meta look of sort of paying homage to all the stuff that historically has in this movie like in film but just sort of like had an influence on us i don't i don't know friendship's a big part of it i i, I there's all, I yeah there's there's answer, also character but... arcs and maturing yeah, yeah. Well, that's not a bad answer what uh, what i think might end up being 
viewed this way, and I'm and don't consider this to be a value judgment that it's this would be good or correct, but I think it might end up being her. Hmm. In in that you, I think like the sort of the relic of our times will just be just in, incredible, devastating like digital alienation, <laughs> and I I I wonder if we'll look back at our generation as I think it'll be one of two two things or maybe both just the, the what the the consequences of of climate change which are just beginning to be felt i think in a sort of <laughs> like it, it seems like it's just knocking on our doorstep now sure and then also just the way our generation is the first to uh to come of age in the era of social media and i think like the more we learn about it the more we are realizing that it's been very 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 bad <laughs> And not uh, for us. Well, log, not for our, par- it did log off, our parents. Log off, sir. Yeah. Destroy, what about our podcast, our- Joe? What about our podcast? Well, that's not so- social media, although we need it to get, get more people to listen to it, I suppose. And I'm, I don't mean to say no, that know, like it's all bad, but like it's like every week we read some new story about about the terrible things that are that are being done by these companies and what it's doing to our brains and, and our parents' brains, especially like, there's no doubt that it destroyed the boomers' brains. That that's a, not debatable. Definitely. The people who created social media are all bad people. Like all, all, all the creators of Twitter and Facebook and yeah. just actually, let's just broaden that to tech people in general. Bad, yeah. Bad well, people. like there were, there were, we spent a lot of our, our coming of age and in, in our twenties through our thirties, there's this idea that Silicon Valley is going to save us from, yeah. from all the sins of our fathers. And it's, it's clear that they're just doubling down on the sins of our fathers. Yeah. But I guess, I guess my, my best answer right now would be children of men i think is going to be the god movie of our, of i i mean I, I i think you might be right but man <laughs> that's as best as, as bleak as well what what it, i mean explain why it wouldn't be i mean it's, no i i, I think I'm, it, it I'm hints just... under the surface that that climate change is going to destroy us that pollution and rampant corporate greed is going to turn us into this sort of privatized hellscape and we're going to have to it, it's going to be real bleak but i think that that movie does have glimmers of hope in it that that no matter how bad things get there's always going to be people that are fighting to do the right thing perhaps fighting an impossible mission but or zombies like in Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> yeah. Or just music I, I just dorks think, in high fidelity. I, I think that pop culture thing is obviously important but i don't i think it's more of a gen x thing that that pop culture obsessiveness and and uh i i mean Shaun of the dead's made by gen x guys yeah, it is it is but most of uh, these so, movies we're talking about will be made by people who are older well what it, influence us when we were younger is what i'm thinking whatever yeah, I, whatever our defining movie is we'll need to memorize it for when the grid goes down and we have to orally tell it so that it's <laughs> yes well like the end of uh world's end if we're gonna go with that same trilogy where uh, yeah. <laughs> the characters are just around campfires like yeah telling the stories of what happened It'll be like in Reign of Fire, where they just tell they reenact Star Star Wars around a campfire. It, it, it'll be like when C three PO is telling the story of the <laughs> earlier Star Wars movies to the Ewoks. Yep. <laughs> and he has all the sound effects of everything. Yeah, which yeah. is pretty cool. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then we'll all have to scatter because the Raiders are coming in. So. <laughs> <laughs> or is it going to be Mad Max Fury Road? Is that is that our movie? Uh, that's actually that's actually not a bad one. I yeah. just think Children of Men is kind of telling the same story in a much I mean, like smarter way. Children of yeah. Ma- yeah. Children of Men is just a Mad Max prequel. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Oh, but they're both either way. Good. I think we we mentioned uh, three or four really good movies, and we also know the real answer is Borat. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's truth to that as well. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you guys have anything else on uh, on the graduate or fail sons in general? No, I'm I'm excited to not have to spend any more time thinking about these idiots. And and fortunately, the era of the fail son is over, and we're not going to have to deal with any of them ever again. Right? Yes. Yep, they're done. Um. So, listeners, you uh, thanks for listening. As we talk about uh, we talk about fail sons, we've talked about uh, six movies. Right? We did uh, technically we did, seven. Yes, that's right. Gladiator. Um, Batman we did Returns. Batman Returns. We did Harold and Maude. We did Billy Madison and Tommy Boy. We did The Omen and The Graduate. And we are now going to go on hiatus for a while and come together with a new season that will not be about fail sons. And uh, you can uh, go back to the archives if you're just finding us now. Uh, go to uh, afreepodcast.com. And you can also join our Facebook group called Freeloaders at... Uh, Face uh, afreepodcast.com <laughs> slash freeloaders. <laughs> and uh, what else? You should write and review us on iTunes. I care about that. And more importantly, uh, if you enjoy the show, you should like literally just tell people. That's the best way. Let let uh, let your friends know. Don't be like don't be like Ben Braddock. Have friends and then tell them about things. Uh, one one thing <laughs> I do want to uh, add an appendage to our conversation. An appendage. Uh, <laughs> A third arm. <laughs> Uh, appendix sorry uh one when i said that all tech people are bad i did not by any means uh refer to the folks at stamps.com who (laughs) or or tim cook the king of itunes yeah (laughs) or whoever runs uh blue apron because they're (laughs) they're all fine people and we are open for sponsorship uh there's nothing worse than going to the post office. Am I right, guys? <laughs> I'm as as all millennials. I'm super busy and don't have time for my numerous trips to the post office every week. <laughs> A place I go to all the time. <laughs> uh, but luckily, Stamps.com makes it easy, and I can print out all my numerous don't actually give numerous posts. I'm showing and them. Also, I'm showing and, and, them how good it can be. You're and indeed, out. and and like like any normal person, I buy a mattress every three months, <laughs> and uh, the good people at Casper, if they want it. Well, how else? Where else am I going to put all my money? <laughs> uh, yes, I, the banks are all criminals, so we need to buy all these mattresses because <laughs> we don't trust Wells Fargo. So that's why you buy a mattress from Casper. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, are 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 we going to be back? We will be back. Yes, I think Joe. At one point, you said uh, this is our last episode of the season. To be clear, so stay subscribed. Oh. We will be back in the near future. Near when future, we, right? When, near, when we feel near, like it. That's when our we, official statement. Is we'll be back when we feel like it. But if you ask me, I'll probably just tell you a date. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we hit stop, Rob is going to start pestering us about the ne- the next the next date. All right, listeners, thanks for listening to a free podcast, and we'll be back. Uh, we'll see you when you see ya. Duh. Yep, we'll see you when you see ya. <laughs> <laughs>